Hey, it's Cameron here. Are you intrigued by how technology like artificial intelligence and cloud computing are affecting geopolitics? Do you care about how governments are using these tools? If so, then I'd recommend checking out Microsoft's Public Sector Future podcast. Head over to aka.ms slash public sector future to find all the episodes or just search for public sector future wherever you get your podcasts. May Day celebrations here in Berlin can be instructive about some of the issues at stake here. I mean, I know you lived here, Adam, for, for some time, and so I assume you're familiar with how the May Day looks here. But, but for, the, for those who haven't been in Berlin on, on a May Day, you know, there, it's, it's a day off where everyone sort of tends to gather outside. The weather is usually nice, and there's some sort of political kind of protests usually intermingled with some kind of party atmosphere. But then as the sun starts setting sort of really odd thing starts to happen. I mean, people start kind of going indoors and then the sort of atmosphere starts to change. And it's, frankly, it's this sort of very odd, almost ritual of, of violence that starts to take place on the streets. And it's understood. Everyone knows going in what's going to happen. And basically, uh, there are sort of street battles between police and then these kinds of anarchist groups, anti-establishment groups of various kinds, and yeah, they sort of have at it, and then eventually it dies down, and then people go to work the next day. But this got me wondering what any of this has to do then at that point with kind of labor unions. I mean, again, this all started as kind of a labor day, and, and then all of a sudden it's sort of taken over by anarchists, and anarchists aren't exactly labor unions, right? I mean, in fact, I would guess that unions would see themselves as opposed to anarchists? I mean, unions are sort of institutions of their own, right? I mean, how, how to make sense of what's going on in Berlin on a, on, a, on a day like this? Well, the tradition is authentic to the extent that what we're commemorating in on May Day is state violence against labor. So it, it's always double-edged, right? It's, if, if, if it goes back to the Haymarket massacres, then then it's fundamentally about the question of justice as well. And that is posed in different forms by the labor movement on the one hand and by anarchism on the other. But the, the microcosm of Berlin, and it's worth saying, it's one particular corner of West Berlin where this is really pronounced, mm. and it's, it's Kreuzberg, which is a former working class district um, up against what used to be the wall, which had a large amount of abandoned, bombed out, semi-bombed out housing after the war that was not renovated because Berlin was a shrinking city and the, the these big apartment blocks were up against the tenements really in American sense, but large by American tenement standards. They were up against the wall, so they were very undesirable property. And and what this meant was that in the anarchist leftist scene of the 70s and 80s in Germany, in West Germany, of which West Berlin was a weird appendage, that part of Kreuzberg became the home for a autonomist um, anarchist movement. Autonomist in this sense means that they were literally trying to do to challenge the authority of the state and the state's organs of authority the police over that part of the city and uh, this was a movement that developed in close conjunction with the anti-nuclear protests of the 1980s which were very violently policed by the german authorities and the anarchists set themselves to developing a counterforce a a self-protection unit if you like and they took to wearing a uniform, black because of it's the anarchist colour, but a uniform also because it made it hard to identify 
the people who were involved, they would wear masks and a standard black kit. And so it was quite hard to figure out in trials who, who they were. And the tradition of violent clashes with the police in Kreuzberg goes back to 87. It's a specific year because this was the period hmm. of the anti-census mobilization. So there was a typically, you know, in a sense, also in a, to a degree, anti-authoritarian, anti-state mobilization in West Germany against the census which was regarded as a tool of state surveillance in an ominous tradition that went all the way back to Nazi Germany. And in the early morning of May, uh, 1st of May 1987, the Berlin police made a, I think everyone felt, was a deliberately provocative raid on the headquarters of the anti-census organization in Kreuzberg. And it was in the hours afterwards and the day that followed that um, the autonomist bloc, the Alter Norman, the so-called Black Bloc, organized then on the on the flanks of the festival that was going on in the city um, first of all some sort of rather spontaneous uh, acts of violence against police vehicles and then by the evening of that day full-on clashes and, and the, 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 to them to their mind historic success that they gained is that the Berlin police withdrew from the eastern half of Kreuzberg, which is why SO36 becomes mm. this legendary postcode for German counterculture. It's the scene of you know rap music of a certain kind, but also political militants. And a kid like me growing up in West, West Germany would make pilgrimage to SO36 because it was this freed zone for, for about three hours. And then the, the West Berlin police came back. <laughs> but from that moment onwards, from that year onwards, May a May, May Day in Kreuzberg, in SO36 particularly, became this, this ritual that you observed. And, and people would literally, caravans from, would converge on Kreuzberg from all over Germany because the Autonomen were a, a nationwide organization, semi-organization network, to, to do battle with the police. And these continued all the way through. I think the last really serious, you're seeing the sort of afterburn of this, but the last really serious mm. clashes were in... 2008, 2010, where there were really large-scale clashes. One of the really interesting the developments that's happened is, I mean, A, the, the autonomous block scene has, has dwindled very considerably. This whole culture has become somewhat old and stale. But the other thing that's happened is that the local authorities, local business community, the local police have become very smart in their, if you like, if you like counterinsurgency tactics. Um, and the key vehicle for this is a festival which is known as Maifest, um, which, mm. which is a clever English-German pun because the German for May is Mai, but they spell it English, M-Y-F-E-S-T. So in other words, Mai, I own it. This is my neighborhood. I own it. It isn't, the, it isn't the merchants of chaos and the anarchists that own this community. This is my party and I'm going to have it. And they have very deliberately cultivated a giant street party focused on music, on culture, on food, on small businesses to and placed it slap bang in the middle of the what used to be the riot zone and, and cultivated it very directly. It's actually it's it sounds conspiratorial, mm. but it literally has a name. It's called the aha concept, which again is a is a is a is a pun. Aha in German means kind of gotcha. You know, I get it. I see the light bulb went off. And this was a strategy of urban policing, which Berlin adopted from the late 19 on, 1990s onwards, which, which means that they reach out, they engage with the community. Well, one of the really funniest police tw Twitter streams to follow around the world is the Berlin police Twitter, um, which is part of this concept <laughs> of humanizing the police, making them seem like friendly neighborhood cops who rescue cats and 
you know, deal with turned over garbage bins. And, um, and it's part of this effort to re-embed the police in neighborhoods which in Berlin had become very hostile to state power. Can I ask whether you were in Berlin in that, that fateful first year of 1987? Where, where, where were you? Or, or can I, should I be picturing you on the barricades? Uh, <laughs> was not, a younger in, not in 1987, but I, but I vividly remembered visiting uh, earlier in the 80s and going around that neighborhood because it was the only big squatter scene. Oh, apart from Hamburg, it was the other big squatter scene in, in notionally what was West Germany. And, and squatting in, in Germany was this hugely contentious issue because it was a it's very fundamental infringement on private property rights and it's not something the German state puts up with for very long except under rather exceptional circumstances and that was that was West Berlin so yes you would make as a as a you know fashionable leftist youth um growing up in sleepy provincial West Germany or for that matter London um you would you would definitely make pilgrimage to SO36 for the for the you know the the scene and it was. I mean, mm. you, you know, there were burned out cars on the street. I mean, anyone who knew the urban crisis of the United States from the late 60s onwards would think it incredibly tame. I mean, we're not talking the Bronx or the south side of Chicago or the north end of Philadelphia here. Um, this is a very, mm. a very cutesy version of, of uh, and a very politicized version of, of what in America, of course, is a far more acute, far more fundamental, far more deep seated urban crisis. Yeah, I have actually heard that analogy before. Like that neighborhood is 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 the Bronx uh, of of, of, so of Germany, silly. and I'm, and and I say and if I say if this is your Bronx, then uh, yeah. then you're you're all doing okay. Um, I mean, that's but, really um, that's the most gratuitous. Yeah, it's absurd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I will be probably at the My Fest uh, on May first. Probably also be going indoors before it gets too gets too nasty out there. But uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Annalise Riles, professor of law at Northwestern University. I'm also an anthropologist and the host of a new podcast, Everyday Ambassador, where we give you the small tools that make big change. The idea for this show has been a long time in the making. I actually remember the exact day I started thinking about it. It was March 11th, 2011. I was in Japan conducting research on the financial markets of Tokyo. All of a sudden, I heard a loud rumbling sound and the room started shaking. Everything came crashing off the shelves. I looked out the window and I could see the skyscrapers swaying so much that they looked like they would touch. And then the sirens started going off. A tsunami was on the way. These were the harbingers of one of Japan's worst ever disasters, the meltdown of the Fukushima nuclear power plant. The Japanese government now says two reactors are in partial meltdown and four more are at risk. The meltdown completely turned Japan on its head. I saw hundreds of stunned office workers covered in dust walking down empty train tracks to get from the city to their homes in the suburbs. Electricity was out, internet, cell phones. Supplies flew off the shelves of stores. Geiger counters became an in-demand item, which is never a good thing. Living through a crisis of this magnitude was an inflection point for me. To prevent the next Fukushima or any of the other crises we face today, we'll have to work much more effectively across silos of expertise and national boundaries. And we'll need to harness the wisdom of everyone, from local fishers to nuclear physicists, on how the world really works and what happens when things go awry. 
Using this approach, I've gone on to spur countless innovations in global policy. And that's what this podcast is all about. Everyday Ambassador peels back the curtains of high-stakes leadership and gives everyone backstage access to the most powerful methods of diplomacy. In each episode, we'll break things down into deceptively simple moves that everyone can make to help build a more peaceful and sustainable world. Like giving a gift. You want to make it tasteful. You want to make it thoughtful. You thought about the other individual. You thought about what their likes and dislikes are. Or creating a fiction. Taking on a fictional scenario and a role outside of the one that you occupy in your day-to-day life allows you to think through what you would like to have done differently. Or just taking the time to have fun. Trying to see this as more so building long-term relationships that are going to be helpful uh, down the line when negotiations are a bit harder, as all negotiations are. Each week, you'll hear surprising stories which reveal the moves you can make to change the status quo, to find ways to connect and move things forward. So join me and become an everyday ambassador coming to you this spring on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen.